This episode of Disease Du Jour is brought to you by equinevetedu.com, a free online educational platform for veterinarians, vet students, and vet techs, brought to you by Equimanagement. Visit equinevetedu.com for free race-approved CE and courses on topics of current interest. Welcome to Equimanagement's podcast, Disease Du Jour where each podcast will delve into the research and current best practices for a variety of equine health problems with industry experts. I'm your host, Kimberly S. Brown, publisher of Aquamanagement. Today's guest is Dr. Robert Holland, a private practice veterinarian in the Central Kentucky area focusing on respiratory problems and infectious diseases. Dr. Holland has worked globally consulting with countries and jurisdictions to contain and prevent the spread of disease. He's worked domestically with USDA and many state veterinarians. His practice has focused on respiratory disease, allergies, and infectious disease in the public and private sectors. Quality disinfection to prevent spread of disease is another area of expertise for Dr. Holland. He has studied disinfection protocols in both animal and human medicine and has adopted the best protocols for the equine environment. Dr. Holland received his Doctor of Veterinary Medicine from the Mississippi State College of Veterinary Medicine in 1994, and he received his Ph.D. in Veterinary Medicine Virology at the University of Kentucky Gluck Equine Research Center in 2001. Thank you, Dr. Holland, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about the science of strangles. Thank you, Kim, for inviting me. So let's just start right in on what is strangles and why is it so difficult to deal with? Okay, so uh, strep equi 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 is actually a bacteria. It's a gram-positive bacteria. The hard thing, though, is that this is kind of a, well, I like to tell people, a, a bacteria that likes to get a little aggressive at times. It's hard to get rid of in an animal because it's got a strong HA on the outside of it. So the immune system can't seem to bind to it and totally clear it because it's kind of got this slick outer coat to it that makes it hard to grab a hold of. Strep equi, equi zoepidemicus is what we get following a lot of respiratory problems at the racetrack or everything. That's the one we don't worry about. A lot of those are normal commensals in the back of the throat. Okay, so that beta hemolytic strep we don't worry about as much. Strep equi equi probably all evolved together and they did it thousands of years ago and it basically became very aggressive and it got a little extra defensive mechanisms put on board like a slick outer coat and it can adapt a little bit as it's going and it's got a couple extra super antigens that really make horses really sick when we run into it. Those types of things are very um, helpful for the bacteria to A, stay in the animal for a very long time, because you would think, why does the animal take this bacteria and will get it in the back of its throat or its sinus and its guttural pouch and not clear it? We would clear our diseases, so why does this one not clear? Because it's learned how to evolve with the horse. Thousands of years ago, it learned that, hey, look, I can hang out here and just kind of replicate a little bit in the guttural pouch, and as long as I don't create too much inflammation in the animal, I can be a happy camper and stay right where I am. That's also part of the main issue, though, because then they become asymptomatic carriers because the horse doesn't show you active signs a lot of times but they're carrying it, and you just don't know which ones are which. They can look like the most healthiest animal. They could do the biggest event. They've won events. They've won shows. They've won 
barrel races, they've won the hunter events, they've won, and then all of a sudden you find out that it could still be a carrier that's low grade. Not so dissimilar to what we see with kids in a school. Of the three or four young kids at a school, two or three of them get a really inflamed throat. They're really sick, they don't feel well. The kid that could have started the whole strep outbreak, though, a lot of times, is showing you no signs, and they're happy, and they keep going to school, and they keep coughing and putting it on the tables or sharing something like a pen or... As I like to tell the young kids in elementary schools, they don't clean the tops where they clean their hands. They need to wash things and then clean it after they're being you know, messing with different things. And they don't clean their hands. And you say to yourself, well, how does strep equi change? Well, in the kids' case, it's because of their hands. They move it around. They'll wipe their nose and then they'll hug their buddy and that's how it happens. It moves very quickly that way. Let's talk a little bit about testing for strep. I mean, we know we have some good tests, but tell, tell me a little bit about what, in, when a veterinarian sees that PCR test, what should they look for? Okay, so I believe that this is a very good topic for all of us to really talk about. I think testing gets very confusing, even for us as veterinarians. Back in the day when we tested for strep equi, we tested a, an ELISA, we tested a thing for M proteins, and we looked to see if M protein levels would go up. As the animal came into contact with strep equi, it would cause this one protein to go up. And then when that happened, the immune system would go after it, and it would cause that to rise up, and that's what we would measure. We would measure this thing. That does not mean that they actively have strangles. It just means they've come into contact with something that looks like strep equi equi. So it became very confusing. Everybody said, well, it's got a high-end protein lies, and you're like, yeah, but did you vaccinate, or did you do something, or was it at a show, and it never showed you something? And so everybody goes, yeah, that's a good point. This is a very important point for this, though, Kim, is that the test is either positive or negative. You then have to interpret it as a veterinarian and observe this. So what does that test really mean? And it could just mean that that animal came into contact with strep equi equi, and that's why the protein lines was high. The PCR is doing something different. The PCR we're running on swabs or nasal washes from their nose, and we're actively looking for the bug, okay? The issue becomes that we started to figure out very quickly that horses can carry strep equi equi in their guttural pouches or their sinuses. And of the 585 that I tested in central Kentucky on a big set of outbreaks back in the 90s, 99% of the carriers were either actively sick, shedding from their nose, or in a guttural pouch. There was only two out of all those 585 that had it in a sinus. So when you see a horse get a positive PCR, you're thinking the horse is positive, but you've got to understand that that's the test. So you get a positive test for PCR. What does that really mean? Well, I got very confused on this because the original testing when we went to school on PCR was all just yes, no. So when you did a PCR test, it wasn't quantitative, it was just qualitative. So you'd get an answer and it would say positive test or negative test. That means the lab arbitrarily set a limit of what was a positive and what wasn't, and they just shipped it out to us. We didn't know that. Now we do something really tough for all of us. 
which is we do a quantitative PCR. So we run the test and we say to ourselves, okay, this horse is positive or negative. No, it's not. It's the test is positive or negative. And what you need to recognize is that a low number in a quantitative PCR is actually a lot more bacteria found in the order of magnitude of billions of bacteria. So if I run a test on a PCR and it comes back positive on the PCR and my crossing point, because the cycle goes through each time, is at a 10 to 14, there are billions of bacteria present. If it keeps crossing, so it's got to go and do the PCR process over and over and over again, crossing point 14, 15, 16, all those show negative, 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 and I hit 35 to 38, that means I'm down to probably 100 to 8 bacterial numbered organisms. The problem is, for us as veterinarians, we're used to the qualitative testing, which was higher number or higher titer means bigger problem. In this case, it'll get you fooled. It'll mess you up. It's actually lower number on a qualitative PCR means there's a lot more bacteria. Well, let's talk a little bit about that bacteria and the fact of how long can it live in the environment, summer and winter. Okay, so there was a great recent study, and I wish I could remember the authors that did this. It was some group that figured out that they wanted to test how long strep equi equi would live in summer environments or in winter environments. And they took the humidity and they did everything. It was a great experiment. I'd love to be the grad. I want to shake the poor graduate student's hand that had to figure out how and what environments they were going to test this in. So that was a great project. I'm going to look that up for everybody in the future. But just, just know that they found out that strep equi equi actually does not live as long when it's really, really hot, but the humidity at hot can make it a little worse. We know that strep equi can live in the soil for three days. Strep equi can live on a sterile fence post. I don't know how they did that, you all. Sterile fence post for seven days. But a water trough for 30 to 45 days. So water is the big one. But even with that, there's a seasonal effect. We found that the higher humidity and cooler temperatures kept the strep equi longer. And that's why winter months showed us a bigger problem in that data. The only time that I had that flips that data was where I had a farm here in Kentucky that had a massive fly problem and we were in the middle of an outbreak of strep equi equi and I could not figure out how it skipped and I believe and I could never prove it was that the insect vectors basically got onto a horse and flew over to another water trough and did something and that's how I had a problem but most of the time summer months you can control this very well as long as you do the testing on a nasal wash or culture. Let's talk a little bit about something that every veterinarian will have to face at some point is an asymptomatic carrier. What are they and why are they such a problem? So asymptomatic is exactly what you're saying, Kim. I mean, when we were in school, we always knew they were carrier states and we, we typically think of Coggins horses. Uh, EIA horses. You know, a lot of times those Coggins horses don't show you any signs at all. You do a Coggins test each year and you're like, whoa, it's negative, it's negative. You just get used to seeing a negative and all of a sudden you'll see a positive but the horse looks fantastic. Well, that's because the horse isn't showing you any signs. That's why we keep asking you to do Coggins tests year after year. 
Asymptomatic carriers, about the mid-90s, we actually figured out that the horses could carry strep equi equi in their guttural pouches or in their sinuses, and they show no signs at all. They can actually be so non-sign oriented that you think everything's okay. So in these outbreaks, you bring a bunch of new animals to a farm, mares, foals, or whatever, and they get sick with active signs. And so you ask the follow-up question, the incubation period for strep equi is three to 14 days. Were there any new animals to the farm in three to 14 days? Answer, no. Were there any new animals that went into that field? Yes, but that horse has never shown an active sign one. Well, that could be the asymptomatic carrier. And the problem with strep equi equi, and actually I would love to take credit for this about the guttural pouches, and the Animal Health Trust would love to do this too. Both of us want to do that. But the first documented person that figured it out was actually a veterinary farrier for the cavalry that said that what he noticed was that the horses left a facility and went to a different facility and strep equi was in the facility. So they said the facility has strep equi equi. And he said, not true, because we burned the barns all down and we did everything and we built them all back up. And we brought all the horses back and strep equi equi showed up again. So it's got to be in the horses. And I thought, wow, he documented for the first time a carrier state, and he alluded to it being in the horses, but he could never figure it out because he didn't have endoscopes and things like that. So we now know that that's been going on for a very long time, that carriers, but farms get it in their head that they have strep equi equi forever. Well, a lot of farms have mares that can live for 20 to 25 years, and those mares stay on the farm or geldings, and they don't go, and they don't show you any active signs. They could be actually the carriers, and it goes in about a three-year cycle on farms. As you bring new animals in, you'll all of a sudden see an outbreak, but you'll always point to the one horse that never showed any signs, and that happened in Europe. There was a horse. There was a pony at a riding stable, and every time there was a strangles outbreak, they were worried, and they moved all the horses that were showing no signs onto the next riding stable. And then they did that five times. And the only animal that was the one left that had never shown any signs was a little pony. And that little pony, they then tested and checked its guttural pouches, pure strep equi equi. They moved the carrier five times. Now, we've changed the pony's name. This pony's name is now Typhoid Mary in the whole situation. And the farms love calling that pony Typhoid Mary. So that's over there. The only time Kim that I'd also add for asymptomatic carriers as an infectious disease veterinarian that I'm still having problems with and it's still difficult to deal with is when you get a strep equi equi outbreak in weanlings or foals you have some maternal antibodies and those maternal antibodies cannot show you a full-blown disease they don't get the typical lymph nodes under their throat they don't get the swelling throat they might show a little bit of a lymph node and draining for a day or two but then you think you're okay with it, put them on antibiotics, they recover, and then at about a year later, there's another outbreak, and you say to yourself, how did I miss it? It's because they can kind of cycle it in the yearlings and weanlings a little bit more, because as the maternal antibodies come off from the mares, your herd immunity can change. So I've had it where I've had a strangles outbreak as weanlings, and then I've had a strangles outbreak as yearlings, and then I was able to clean them up. And I couldn't understand how that happened because you're thinking after they get over it, 
you should have better lifelong, and it's not lifelong immunity. It goes in about a three to five year set. So when people say, I can get strangles and not get it again, look to your kids. How often can they get strep throat over and over and over again? So it, it's not that way, okay? So as a veterinarian, when you're trying to explain to a client about this, this endemic kind of three-year cycle and herd immunity, what are you trying to emphasize to them? So I think most people and most veterinarians know the incubation periods of many of the diseases. I think we all do. We know, you know, flu's three days, herpes can be three to seven days, strangles really get you in trouble because it can be three to 14 days. But when we do challenges where we've challenged with flu, if we give it to them in their nose, 98% of them show you lymph nodes that come up for two or three days before full-blown fevers get really, really bad. The fever will come first, the lymph nodes will come second, and then they'll start draining. They'll drain into the guttural pouch or they'll drain out, but almost all of them act the exact same, three to five days. The oddball has an incubation period of 10 to 14. So what that means, though, is they have some level of immunity, and their own immunity influences the way the incubation period goes. And so you get confused, and that's why the asymptomatic carriers get us confused. So in an outbreak, they'll say, okay, doc, I have not had any more strangles for 14 days. I want to go to this show. You go, okay, have we tested all the horses? The answer is, no, we don't want to do that because then the state will shut us down quicker. I'm like, okay, well, how do we know who the potential carrier could be because it could go on a cycle. You bring other animals in, you don't know, and then they go, hmm, that's a good point. We should do the nasal washes, clean them up, and once you clean them up, they do very, very well. And they still have immunity for about three to five years, even if you clean up their guttural pouches and they're no longer shedding. The, the disservice that I see with strangles is because I think we got bought into the incubation period and we didn't know that that was before we understood asymptomatic carriers and active infection and subclinical infection and the other. And so we as veterinarians fall into that and all the books are written on an incubation period when it's actually, wait a minute, there's different things that can occur on this. There's a different level. They could be a carrier. They could be actively active with it. They could actively be getting over it. They could be active, but they haven't shown lymph nodes yet. Every one of those are treated differently in the way you would treat them. And all the other things that we treat, we go, okay, we're going to get them over it. We're going to give them antibiotics. And we get, not this one. you got to watch when and where. And then vaccinating in the face of the outbreak can also be problematic because if you vaccinate the carrier that has immunity with high-level immunity already, you could get a purpura and you didn't understand it. You didn't understand when you vaccinated that animal already had high level of immunity and you pushed it over the edge. And so it's dangerous. We as veterinarians don't know how to handle it. And so I think, I think if we mentally could understand that the incubation period can be variable, it's more oral than it is nasal, and the fact that you do have carriers when you have an endemic farm, there is no doubt in my mind. And you will bring carriers to your farm unless you do the testing. You just don't know who they are. They look perfectly normal when you get them. So what is the longest horse that you know of 
that's been an asymptomatic carrier. Five years. Five years. Five years. And I'm sure that if we hadn't cleaned it up, it could have gone on more than that. People have talked about carriers that could be up to 10. We just haven't had any documented evidence for that. The longest that we can document as scientists is five years. So when we look at the spread of this disease, we have talked about, you've talked about the nasal route and the oral route and so forth. So let's talk about the equipment, the water, the routes of transmission. What can you do to help farms manage to try and either eliminate uh, the bacteria on the grounds or prevent the spread? It, it's a great question, Kim. The, the thing that you're asking for is really the main one. First thing I do when we go out to a strangles outbreak is, where are they drinking water and where are they eating? And then the other one is, what are you doing with the hose? Because we had one saddlebred facility one time where it was a T-shaped area. And all the horses on this side of the T-shape got strangles, even though they were individually housed, individually moved, individual bits, individual everything. And I could not understand how the 13 horses on this end of the T got strangles. And I watched everybody for a solid day. And the groom put the hose in all 13 buckets, and the hose only reached to 13 stalls. So we tested the end of the hose, and the hose was positive for strep equi-equi. Now, everybody couldn't believe that it was that simple, but it was. So in the middle of a strangles outbreak, I will tell you, a lot of times I'll tell you to get rid of your hoses and start over again, and then start telling everybody to put different equipment. So the equipment, the shared bits, the lip chains, the twitches, any of those things that go near a horse's mouth, water buckets, any of those things, feed buckets that are near their mouth, have the potential to transmit strep equi. Everybody thinks respiratory, think oral. Think quadrants and oral. And when you do that, you figure out real quickly how that bacteria is moving around, in my opinion, more. And that's how we've cleaned up outbreaks a lot. Because when you really think about it, and this is something I've said, strep equi is clonal. That strain is almost uniquely the same. The one we isolate here looks so similar to the strain we isolate in England, Ireland, mainland Europe, China, it's the exact thing over and over. We have been able to clean up islands with strep equi-equi. No problem. Strangles can be cleaned up once we test all the horses, clean up their guttural pouches, treat them accordingly, and test every incoming animal. We can keep an island completely strangles-free. No problem, biosecurity-wise. And then I like to tell this to people all the time. The racetrack or individual tracks can be like an island because they're all individually housed, they all have their individual waters, they all came from an individual area, and every one of those, how often do you hear of massive strangles outbreaks on a racetrack? And the answer is never. The only time you'll hear about it is when they have a farm or uh, when they're doing racing and they have water buckets in the morning that they'll put on either end of the barn to cool out the horses when they walk by, and so they drink out of a common water bucket, and then you'll have that racing barn, or that individual barn, have strangles. But why is the whole racetrack not showing you strangles? So it's an island of a trainer within it, and that's why we don't have that much of a problem. So the more you get them to where they eat out of their own areas, they have their own buckets for water, they have their own hose that doesn't go in there, 
you can limit strep equi equi. That's an important point, though, when you're looking at mares in a farm because the mares move around as groups, and if you move a new mare in and out and you create stress, you could be moving the carrier, and you don't know it. Back to the rule of the incubation period. Three to 14 days sounds good, but the problem is the carrier can hold it for a very long time, and that totally takes your incubation period out the window because you're having asymptomatic carriers. I like to disinfect with Nalvasan. If I have really bad waters, I'll use Tectrol or one-stroke phenolic compounds because it does a better job in organic debris. The reason you can't use that much and rinse it that much on a day-to-day -day is because Nalvasan's just a little bit more gentler, but it won't kill everything fast. It takes about eight minutes to kill it in Nalvasan. And if you have any organic debris, so there's snot on it or, or manure, it just, the chlorhexidine won't work. And so you get to the point where bleach will work, but if there's a lot of organic debris, bleach won't work. If you do some other things, you'll get into it. But if you can try to limit where the carrier is and how to influence where they're eating and drinking and be very careful with the equipment, you can shut down every strangles outbreak you ever want through testing and isolation and treatment. You're done. No problem. Well, we really appreciate you uh, joining us today on uh, Equimanagement's Disease Du Jour to talk about the science of strangles. And thank you to our listeners for uh, coming, tuning in to another podcast. You can hear previous and future podcasts of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. We hope you'll join us again in the future for another episode of Disease Du Jour.